They say that experience is the best teacher, and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success. For this season of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money, and we'll meet some people who have been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Hello, and welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, and today we have with us Jonathan Dio. Jonathan Dio is uh, has led an independent financial planning firm since 2002. He and the Mindful Money Team work one-on-one with 300 families and foundations. The Mindful Money Team offers simple steps to financial success and tools to mindfully overcome emotional and cognitive biases related to money. This is one of those issues near and dear to my heart. People who uh, have mindset challenges that keep them from living their best life, especially through finance. So Jonathan, welcome to the show. Excited to have you here. Uh, Thanks, Michael. Glad to be here. Awesome. So speaking of awesome, what makes you awesome, Jonathan? Yeah, I have, a, I have a hard time, you know, claiming that I'm awesome, but I, I think there's something that makes me pretty interesting. You know, I've been mm-hmm. in finance for 20 years, but I've been meditating for 25 years. And my really? formal okay. my formal training was as a seminarian, and I turned to become a Buddhist academic, and from that I became a financial advisor. So I think that that mix makes me awesome. So uh, I've, I've spoken to a few financial advisors. I believe that's not the normal path yeah, to not, financial not advising, right? Not okay, not, yeah, I don't think any of them have been Buddhist seminarians. No, no, very few, very few of us. All right. So, uh, yeah, our second question is normally, how did you get started? Which is weird. It's a question I want to ask there. How did you get started? How did that happen? I, th- I think there's sort of two parts to how I got started. The, the first part is I had an interest in it. Like when I was young, we didn't have any money. So I was very, I was deeply interested in money and in business and in investing. And so I, I would study, um, what were they called? They were the, the, these, these documents in my, in a broker's office, downtown Rapid City, South Dakota, um, mm-hmm. value line research. I would study value line research. Uh, when I was 10, I would go downtown and, and my parents would be running errands and I would stop in this broker's office and read value line research when I was a kid. Uh, and, wow. and imagine someday investing. So I have a sort of an early interest in money. Uh, and then I got a push when I was in grad school as a, a studying comparative religion and studying Tibetan phenomenology, Tibetan Buddhism. My wife at the time said, okay, Jonathan, you've been studying for a long time. It's my turn to study. And so I dropped out, uh, no degree, no seminary degree, no PhD. Uh, and I sought a job and Wall Street would hire anybody at that time. So mm-hmm. I got started just by luck and happenstance. That is often the way it is when you're open to that that opportunity. Uh, and so, so from Wall Street, how did you get from there to here? Well, I tried seven firms in five years. Like I bounced mm-hmm. around a lot. Some of those okay. were choice. Some of those were, you know, mergers and acquisitions on Wall Street. And in 2001, I started really thinking about what it means to help people, you know, get better outcomes. And I started sort of building this concept of there's two levers that really work. And I think one lever is education and another lever is planning. And I don't think Wall Street or banks or brokers do a good job of, of really supporting and, and, and providing those two levers. So I wanted to build a firm based on those two levers. And so I left Wall Street in 2001 and opened my doors in 2002. 
uh, and just launched with maybe four clients out of a basement, you know, room in my house. And here we are 20, actually 22 decades later, 20 years later, Mm -hmm. um, we work with just under 300 clients and just under, you know, half a billion dollars in uh, Berkeley, California. Wow. So, so fundamentally you're, you're a financial advisor. Yeah. Like other yeah. financial advisors, but you have a different approach that's more focused on, on education, make a difference. And you wrote a book. Wrote a book, Mindful Money, Simple okay. Practices. Yep. So tell us about the book. I believe you said there are there are kind of three stages in that book. Uh, three three sections. You know, I okay. think that you have to, as a Buddhist, you know that you got to clear the dust off the mirror before you can do the good work. Mm. So the first two sections of the book are really just clearing the dust. Um, we. You know, there's there's the first section is all about debunk debunking the myths or illusions, things that we <laughs> learn as kids. You know, at the knees of our grandparents, uh, things that marketing companies tell us about finance and about money. I uh, got to unlearn all that stuff. So and the first section is about what nine hundred pages long. Yeah, exactly, it's the largest section of the book. Uh, uh, and then the middle section is really all about what psychologists and monks and philosophers have been talking about for thousands of years. You know, what is it that gives life meaning? What makes us happy? Where do we come about this well-being? And then the third section sort of says, okay, now that we have the, the established parameters of a life well lived, and we have some stuff we can ignore that people are going to sell us. How do we build a financial life on top of that? How do we create our financial plan? And that's really the three sections of the book. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That makes, that's a great structure. Dude, a lot of, a lot of the books are just kind of go straight into here's what you do. Right, right. Which, you know, sometimes you do just need a, okay, I get it. Now, what do I do? But a lot of times, yeah, people know just enough to be dangerous themselves. Right, and hurt themselves. That's 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 the biggest problem is we, you know, the things that we are told about money don't tend to actually help us out. The things mm -hmm. that are pop culture about money aren't positive, aren't helpful long-term. Mm -hmm. Well, can you give us some, some of those examples? Oh, my God. Right now is a perfect time to, to like plumb the depths of these examples. Think about meme stocks, cryptocurrency, um, think about, uh, you know, SPACs, think about IPOs in the late 90s, think about real estate in 2008, think about, you know, gold when it's peaking or oil when it's peaking, mm -hmm. or the fact that, you know, the vast majority of the growth of just large domestic companies is focused on five companies, like 30% of the SP 500 is in five different companies. And that's it, wow. not 500. Five and so that that kind of concentration is stuff that we don't understand unless we start peeling back the onion and learning. Uh, that's what that's one of the biggest problems is we don't learn. We just read the headline and think, oh, maybe maybe GameStop is something I should uh, invest in, or maybe I should invest in NFTs or, or these you know weird, bizarre altcoins. Well, it seems like you know fundamentally it's buy low, sell high. That's that's you know what you always hear is the wisdom, and I think people mix they forget that when they're like. Buy high after everyone else bought? No, no, no. Buy low, right. sell. No, no. I mean, there's things. So we, I, I sort of put these things in three buckets, right? There's, there is saving, investing, and speculating. The biggest, one of the biggest risks in investing is thinking you're investing when you're really speculating. Mm, and okay. the vast majority of media headlines are focused on speculation. You know, what's going to happen next? What is an NFT? What, what is this SPAC going to do? Is this, you know, all of these things are speculation. Yeah. There is what? actually an investable thesis, right? That is people tend to want more and better and cleaner and, you know, more environmentally conscious and, and they want their kids to be better than themselves and they want their kids to have more opportunity and more experiences and better education. Mm -hmm. and, and so this idea of more people living longer, wanting better lives drives huge opportunity. But right. there's all this 
rounding error around all the specific single things that people go crazy for. Definitely. Yeah, that, that's huge. Well, and I think a lot of these things, by the time you hear about them, they leaked. That's yeah. why the reporter's reporting on them. You know, if it's not like you have the, I think a lot of people think they have the inside track by watching the news. I know. Is that crazy? And, yeah. and they forget they're watching the last person talking about it. Yeah. That's right. It's crazy. Yeah. We want everyone else's in. Yeah. I think, and of course, I think they just don't get markets. You know, these are the people who, who sold at the bottom of the 2008 market and they buy gold at the top and, it happens and you can, you can watch fund flow. I mean, we track fund flows as a, you know, the financial industry tracks where money goes, where it's coming from. And you can see collectively that we make this mistake on a regular basis. Every mm-hmm. time something goes up, new products are created that suck more money into it and it overinvests in that category and then it explodes and then it goes yeah. down and then people, money runs away and that's where the opportunity lies, but people go to the next thing. It's, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a bizarre human issue. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Well, and, and I imagine a lot of it was just lack of access to good advice. You know, if they're not working with someone like you and they're doing it on their own. I I would love to say that that's the issue. I, I actually think it's more nefarious than that. I think that there's there's a there's a financial industrial complex designed Ooh, to keep okay. us trading um, more, more than just not access to good advice. Because it's really what I do from moment to moment with a client is actually incredibly simple. It is not complex. Mm-hmm. Um I, what I'm doing is I'm stripping away the complexity and say, okay, yeah, all this stuff is noise. This is what you need to focus on. This is what we know and can plan on. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's a pretty huge thing. And it does make sense. There's a lot, you know, a lot of people are in debt because the systems are designed to keep us in debt. And, yeah. you know, you go to buy, you go to look at a car and, and I, I've sold cars. I know uh, that people in that dealership, their job is to get you to sign on the line to buy the car. And to make it easy, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah, I know your budget's two fifty a month, but like, what's seventy five bucks? Seriously, to have the car right. you really want, right. Um, right? And you do that across all your bills, and all of a sudden, you can't save because because it's all it's all dribbling away there. Yeah, and we're um, making we're, and we're making decisions based on mythology. Like, I, I think there's, I think one of the biggest one of the biggest misunderstandings that we have in in our culture is that risk and volatility are the same thing. You know, people, <laughs> we, we look at, uh, and this is really a critical understanding. Uh, you know, there is massive, almost intentional misunderstanding about risk. Now the statisticians, mm-hmm. statisticians and academics measure risk as standard deviation, meaning zigs and zags, but each of our investments, each of our, each of our engagements in the financial world has a natural zig and zag. When it goes down, it goes down. That's what it does. Like, it, mm-hmm. and we shouldn't run from that. The risk is when you apply the human to it. Oh my God, it's going down. What do I do? Or the risk is when it goes up. Oh my God, it's going up. I need to get on this. Right. The risk comes from the human engagement, not from volatility. Volatility is just normal. It's price discovery. That's the mechanism at work. Okay. That's yep. that's always happening. It's one of those one of those myths we need to get past. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that comes to discipline. You know, you, yeah. you want to be putting your money on a regular basis, not, not, you know, not trying to time the market. Right. Right. Um, that's first is education. Yeah. You, you can't be disciplined if you don't know what to be disciplined with. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I, I think also that that comes down to, um, again, you know, modest as you are having someone like you to work with, because um, the, the other issue is if you don't have a lot of money, you don't have access to a good financial advisor. You it's get true. you get a product salesman. True. Yeah. In order to get someone who's really good, you either need to uh, discover them on your own, 
but even then you're, you're basically self-teaching. Um, or you have to have enough money to get the time of someone who can then afford to, to work is the best can afford to work with, with the best. So that that's, that's, I, 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 I don't think that's so much nefarious is just as, because I, I've worked in life insurance too. I've been all over the place. Um, and, and a lot of you know, the people who just, just got into the market, they don't know anything. Right. And they'll work right. with anyone and then tell them whatever they need to, cause they're starving. Right. And, and they, they grow up in a culture of belief uh, and that culture of belief about money often leads us, you know, astray from the things that we know work. And that's mm-hmm. the key is figuring out learning what we know works over time, not getting sucked into the fable or to the hot thing of the moment. Yes. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, and I liked what you said about how there's certain, you know, universal truths or universal needs with where the opportunities do lie. And I'm seeing that in the coaching space a lot that there's, there's a lot of growth in, in coaching because there's a lot of people who know things and a lot of people who want to know things and they're willing to pass money in exchange for that knowledge, support, coaching, yeah. teaching. Um, there, there's, there's plenty of money to pay for that. Um, but you know, what, what are some of the other ways that, that people can, can kind of take advantage of what is out there in the world and, and not, and not get sucked into those trends? Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what, what is the question there? The, the question is how do people take advantage of advice without getting sucked well, into you know, the trends? Yeah. Yes. So what is it people should be doing? Yeah. And, you know, not buying gold at 1400. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing is to get a baseline knowledge uh, and that baseline knowledge is, is available. Like there's so much information out there, uh, bloggers, podcasters, that's really good in-depth stuff. Like we have courses on our website. You can go and take courses. There's courses at um, uh, all kinds of these free course catalogs are out there that you can take stuff. The thing you got to be aware of and the thing you got to be careful of is many, maybe 75, 80% of these courses are produced by somebody trying to sell your product. Like you can't go mm. to the B of A website and get an independent objective sense of how financial services should work. Um, you know, if, if, when it comes to personal finances, we are consistently stress cases, right? And then we're stress cases because media scares us. Financial product pushers are trying to sell us something that resolves the last crisis and our own cognitive and emotional biases are trying to take advantage of us. And if, if we can get around those three things, we can get to some real information. And it's actually really simple what you need to do to get ahead financially, to be successful financially. And understanding those simple stages, those simple steps is really what you got to do. Okay. Uh, now, so you said there's education on your, your website. Now, that, that's uh, mindful.money, right? Mindful.money, yep. Mindful.money. Um, and so, so if somebody goes to your website, what will they find there? Uh, our website is actually separated into three different three different spaces, whatever you call them. The top the top menu has three things. One is like our, our services that actually face the client. So we, we actually work with people directly. Two is financial education. We teach a lot of courses. Um, we teach a lot in our in our you know community. We're out there live, but in when the pandemic hit in 2020, we said, okay, how do we take some of these things and turn them into digital courses that are available anywhere for anyone at any time? And so we have 18 modules. And I think next, it's either this week or next week, the financial planning course that is a course based on the work in my book is live, and people can take it there. That's easy enough. Um, mm-hmm. there's one free course there. That's basically how to, how to set goals, how to, how to look at your values, go from your values to f- discover your purpose, go from your purpose to setting goals, you know, 10 years, five years, three years, two years, one year goals. I'm a huge believer in 
setting the goalposts, setting what is it you're trying to accomplish and going for that, not just sort of shooting from the hip all the time. Mm -hmm. um, then the third thing is you can find our blog and some of the podcast things that we do that are on there. Okay. And it sounds like some, some of your mission, a lot of your mission is education and, and making people better off. Um, so, totally. so, so with these courses, so you said these courses are, are free, people pay for them. What's the, your there's one free course. And then there's every module has, uh, and we, we have the modules separated into, um, like j recent graduate, uh, early career, mid to late career. So you can take a series of modules, seven modules, eight modules together in a prepackaged thing. Okay. Um, you know, we think they're pretty inexpensive, but you know, we give them away in our community and we give them away to groups. Um, individuals, if somebody wants to do it, they can go to the website and they can they can sign up for it themselves. But we're giving away to all kinds of groups in our community. Okay, which is that, that's a very good thing. Um, yeah. And so then, so what's in it for you to give these courses away? Uh, it's a great question. I, I think that uh, the main thing for me is is I think that uh, our industry fails in certain mm -hmm. regards. I mean, you, you mentioned this: the access to the information is very limited. Yes, uh, access to education is very limited. And if people don't seek it out, then they don't ever find education. It doesn't just mm -hmm. fall in their lap. So we try to we try to find like uh, groups of young adults who don't have access to it and say, "Hey, would you like to offer your constituents, your members, your your people uh, access to this education?" And I'll show you how to walk them through it. I don't want to walk everyone through it. I don't have the capacity to do that, but I can mm -hmm. show somebody how to walk somebody else through it. And uh, we, you know, I'll do that all day long. And it's you know, is it a good branding effort? Sure. I'm sure it's good for branding. I have yet to trace a client, you know, to back, back <laughs> to this. And I don't really care if that ever happens. Um, we, you know, in my office, our financial planning and wealth management services, uh, I'm having the best year I've ever had. And I've had, if you look back the last five to seven years, every year is the best year I've ever had. We, okay. We're just doing really, really well. We love everything we do. I've got a great team. They're incredible. So I'm not really using this as a marketing or branding thing. I just, mm -hmm. I think we need to have more people with more information and we'll have fewer 2008s if more people yes. are better educated about money. I love that. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I was expecting your answer to be something like that, which is why yeah. I asked the question. Um, because as you, you said earlier, you, you go to the Bank of America website um, and you take a course. It's not a course. It's a long pitch, yeah. it's a um, pitch. for some product because it's a corporation and there's no, there's no limit to the amount a corporation wants to make. Yeah. They never say, we made enough money. I've spoken to countless humans who say, I've made enough money. Yeah, they want, they're not going to turn it down if someone's like, hey, do you want more money? No, no, I'm good. Made enough. I'm all set. Words never spoken. But I've heard often, I've made enough money and it's time to, to make sure that I create value. I give back. Um, and, and so, you know, it sounds like you're in that position where you have been successful enough that you can really be mission focused and can share that, which is, you know, that, that's, that's who, dear listeners, that's who you want to be listening to. People right. who aren't starting, you know, you don't want to be listening to, to the kind of advisor I was when I tried to get into insurance and, oh my God, I got to make a sale to feed my family because they'll say anything. Uh, they're right. starving. You, you want to talk to an advisor or an expert who's doing pretty good and just wants to, they sell you something, they don't sell you something, whatever. They want to, you know, do some good for you. Yeah. It's a, it's, we talk, we talk about exploring fit. I mean, there's, we actually, when somebody comes to the office and wants to work with us directly, we actually refer more people out to other advisors than we take on as new clients. And we mm -hmm. do that because for us, having a philosophical fit and sort of a personal human fit, like we can get along with somebody, you know, we'll be able to disagree in the future. 
Um, sometimes they will be able to take our advice because we're the expert, even though everything in their being is telling them that they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't feel like we're making good decisions, but they know that we have their best interests at heart and they can hear that. Um, if we can't build that kind of relationship with somebody, then we're going to, we're going to say, you know what, you need to work with somebody else. Here's, here's some great people that we'd recommend. Yep. Um, and we've done research on those people. We know them well, we know their processes, we know their portfolios, we understand what they do and we trust that. Uh, but we're not going to spend our human capital in a way that's going to you know, come back to us or hurt us or not be fun for us. Or it's just life's mm-hmm. too short. Life's too short. Let's, let's, let's find people and help people find places they fit. Um, yeah. good services for what they want. Yeah. It makes, makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, it, it's good to have that, you know, be in that place where you can have that sort of mission uh, and really be focusing on doing the right thing, right yeah. thing for people. Um, now we were talking before the show, you did mention that you, you've had a bit of a, um, uh, a, a moment in your life that's caused you some reflection with your, yeah. your brother having passed, having passed away. Yeah. Um, so, so do you want to go specific with that? Do you want to go into specific or should I just ramble? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dive right in. Just go and we'll see where it goes. <laughs> okay. So yeah. Yeah. So, so about, it's about two and a half months ago now, uh, my brother drowned, you know, in the Pacific ocean. Uh, so uh-huh. it was not something we expected. It wasn't COVID related. Uh, he was just on a weekend with his family. Uh, and it didn't come out of it. So about for the last two years, he and I have been talking about, you know, what do we want out of life? You know, we've, I, my, the firm's name was DO Wealth Management and still, I guess the corporate name is DO Wealth Management. And I, I've always thought how cool it would be if both DO brothers worked together on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've grown the firm from just myself in my basement to eight people you know, serving zero from, from serving zero clients to serving 290 clients, however many that is. Um, and so, and what I've discovered in that process is I don't really like being a CEO. Like I don't, I don't like managing vendors and I don't like thinking about technology and I don't like, um, uh, I don't like human resources issues. I don't, there's a lot of stuff about managing a business that I don't like. And if people read the e-myth, you know, if business, if business owners read the e-myth, you know, that sometimes a business grows as a business grows, the entrepreneur running the business starts doing things that isn't really what they want to do because I got to run a business now. Right. Um, yeah. And what I really like to do is I, I like to philosophize about money. I like to write about money. I like to work with clients directly. Um, and I, and, and what I was going to do and damn it, if we didn't plan for this to happen in like 2022 or 2023, he was going to come on and be my CEO uh, we were going to do this thing together. It was going to be truly DO Wealth Management uh, as an entity, and now that can't happen. Uh, mm. And now I'm I'm running an office that I love the people. Like my team is fantastic. We've we've had a little bit of uh, uh, turnover recently, but it's I, I just I've never had somebody that I've worked with that I've said you know what this has not been a great thing. Like I've had some people that I just one guy in my office John's been there for 13 years. I just. He's fantastic. One guy's been there. Mm-hmm. I've known this guy, Scott, for 25 years. He's just, he's a good friend as well as somebody that I've worked with for like four years. Um, uh, and so these people are great people and nothing wrong with the team. Love the clients, you know, but you reflect something happens and it shocks you into what's important to you. And you realize this is what I really want to do. So now the question is, how do I get around and do that? Uh, uh, and putting those things in place to allow it. Hmm. So, so it has it caused you to kind of 
reconsider your mission or is your, has it reinforced your mission or how, what, how does that, how's it applied to your philosophy? So we had, uh, my brother and I actually had a corporate entity. We, we, we had named workers financial and he works, okay. he worked in banking and he worked in, uh, um, uh, banking the unbanked, you know, he worked in creating accounts and, and, and credit products and debit products for people that didn't have bank accounts. And so we were trying to find a way to, and this, this is part of why the courses exist. We're trying to find a way to help people that didn't have access to help. Um, and the only way I think I can accomplish that now is through courses and public speaking and, you know, more writing and, and getting and, and exposing more people to the thought processes that I have around money. Mm-hmm. I was going to scale that through services because I would have had him there to help me design and build those. Now that he's not there, it's, it's really just a message that I want to get out more broadly. So that's, I've got a series of three, I've already have one book published. I've got three more books behind that. And that's the first time I've said that. It's not kind of, I've sort of just made a commitment. That's I, <laughs> I can't back away from, uh, um, and I've got a lot, you know, I continue to write, I continue to I podcast myself. I've got a couple more podcasts I want to start. And I just, I just think I want to be an educator and I want to spread the message because um, I think, I don't think it's complex. I think people can be way more successful than they have been. And I don't think we have to have a lot of the stress around it that we do. Mm. I love that philosophy because that's, that's something I see myself all the time is that there's so much opportunity and, and it's always so upsetting, uh, tragic almost. You know, I, I see a lot my friends will post on Facebook and, and a lot of my friends, they've been kind of left behind. And my frustration is I know what the answer is for them, but how to get through their mindset to say the answer is right here, right here. You know, I, I, I was, I was talking to the, the, uh, a, a local Denny's here in Connecticut. They're very understaffed probably because they're corporate and not recruiting the right way, but profoundly understaffed, which means that if somebody would work there as a waiter, they'd, they'd be running, they could run the whole floor themselves. The right person can make 50 bucks an hour doing that. Yep. Now they'll work hard, but you know, not as hard as that. There's certainly worse jobs than being a, being a waiter on your feet, moving fast. You make $400 in three hours um, or in, in, uh, in five hours, but people don't see it that way. They say, Oh, that's so terrible. I'd have to work by myself. People are going to yell at me. Oh, so, so awful. And not realizing there's opportunities, you know, the, the whole field of diamonds concept that, that there's opportunities everywhere. The average Uber driver around here is making $29 an hour. Right. Um, and probably out in the Bay Area where you are, it's more. Um, but but there's so many places where people can make great opportunities. And then they they sit in a $14 an hour job and can barely pay the rent. You know, yeah, right that's, next I mean, to. The, the, it's, it's so interesting because there's so much noise in our financial world. And there's mm-hmm. so much commentary about the inequality. And so much commentary about how bad it is for, for some people. And, and while... I think we have to admit that some people get a better a better start than other people. Right, right. Um, I, I think that there is the there's three steps. Like there's three steps to money. There's only three steps to money. It is not complex. The first thing you have to do is you you have to grow an income stream from work, mm-hmm. side hustle, side gigs, whatever. You have to grow an income stream. And to grow an income stream, you've got to provide some kind of value to someone. That's the only way you get an income stream. You provide mm-hmm. value to someone. Second, you got to spend or you spend less than you make and you got to, and third, you got to invest that difference. And those three things, only those three things get you there. That's 90% of the work is, is that now there's the thing you're talking about is that is the hurdles 
to the three, right? What are the challenges you got to overcome? And I think that the biggest hurdle of that first one is just taking responsibility. You know, yes, circumstances suck. I was raised with no money. I was raised always wanting and you Mm -hmm. gotta, you know, and maybe I had the gift of, of parents that were married. I had a gift of a, of a community where you didn't have to lock your door. I had the gift of, you know, lots of activities, affordable public schools, had all this kind of, you know, good public schools. I had lots of positives, lots of really, really, really good things, but we didn't have any resources. Um, and so there's other people that have resources and, and have other issues and there's, we got it, whatever it is, you have to take responsibility and mm-hmm. push forward through those things in order to build an income stream. You've got yep. to create an income stream. Uh, yeah. and that's yeah, the I think it's, first step. Yep. And, and, and you'll put another way. So I think some people say take responsibility. Like I'm not responsible for growing up poor. I'm not responsible for my parents teaching me the wrong things, but you know, but to, to seize your agency, yeah. to, hold, to, to, to yeah. grasp your power. I would say, I, I, and we often say, just, just, just be mindful that you're still in control. Just, yeah. you know, you, you, you still have to manage, right? Yep. Yeah. And it, and because I definitely heard a lot of people who, like I heard someone say, well, you know, did you make good choices or did you have good choices? Cause you know, if, if, if in your range of choices, some people have better options. Yeah, totally. But at the same time, your life is still the result of all the choices you've made. Yep. And there are people who took bad choices, but made the best one. And then right. the best of the next set of bad choices and the best of the next set of bad choices. And slowly they got up and out and other people made the choice to ignore their choices. Right. And made the choice not to, you know, take responsibility, not to seize their power. And, and, and you know, just little things uh, like, you know, when, when I was building up my business and I was driving DoorDash, making $24 an hour. And I realized the person who just handed me the food through the window makes half what I make. And their job is twice as bad. I mean, my job is to sit in the car and listen to audiobooks and occasionally get out and drop food on doorsteps. Their job is like stand in a window, breathe exhaust, get burned by a fry later, get yelled at by their boss, you know, be there at a certain time. I could stop whenever I wanted. Um, and there's nothing stopping them from doing what I was doing, except right. they didn't know, like they could get the app on their phone, assuming they don't, I think if you have a felony, you can't be a DoorDash driver, but assuming they don't have a criminal record or something, as long as they have a car that basically functions, they could be doing exactly what I was doing. They could walk out and be like, I'm done here. I'm going to deliver your food now and make 24 bucks an hour. But they just, just didn't know. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's the, the reality is it's the opportunities are there. Yep. You have to just be a little open and a little creative. Um, but the opportunities are there. You, 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 you can find them. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's the most frustrating thing is people that, just for whatever reason, can't see it, and you want yeah. to point it to them, point it out to them. You want to help them. You want to say, "Listen, how about this? How about that?" But if they're not going to seize it, I, I don't know what we can do. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Sometimes I'll see people post post something like, "Hey, does anyone know someone giving away ten thousand dollars?" And I say, yeah. "Yeah, I know plenty of people with money. What's it for?" Because yeah. I'm now to that point where in my network, if somebody has a great idea and they're like, "Oh, if I had ten thousand, I can make a hundred thousand tomorrow." because they came up with a new app or they've got, they found an opening in the market and they just don't have the capital. I know plenty of people I can introduce them to who are like, Oh, you need 10,000. Is it a 50% chance success for a night, you know, for a 10 extra turn? Let's go, let's do this. I, but they have to do the work and think it yeah. through and have a plan. And, 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 you know, I, I always respond with, I know plenty. What's it for? 
and almost always don't, crickets, no yep. reaction because they're just they're just belly aching in public. But I, I'm trying to drive home the point of like the money's there. Yeah. If there's somebody, if all you need is ten thousand dollars to solve a problem, somebody's got it. Yep. You just yeah, need to give them a reason to give it to you. We we have no lack of capital right now. There is yeah. so much capital looking for investments right now. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's amazing, and, and you know at the same time there are there are people and communities and parts of communities that don't have access that that don't know those people that don't, that don't know how to reach out and find those people. And so there's actually yeah. one of the things that we're working on. I work with this group called um, ESO Ventures. It's East Side Oakland Ventures in uh, in East Oakland, and East Oakland is you know, largely black and brown, uh, a lot of poverty, um, a lot of businesses that aren't very, uh, that, that don't have access to capital, that don't have access even to CDFI capital. And so we talked, I was talking to the, to the executive director yesterday and they just, they just won a grant from a, from the state of California and have some foundation money from Irvine and from other places. And they're saying, okay, how do we solve this sort of last mile capital? How do we, how do we solve for great business ideas that, can't find funding in normal ways. You can't go to the bank. They don't have credit scores. Can't go to, you know, can't go to CDFIs because they don't have enough credit scores. They don't have enough What's history. The CDFI? They don't have, uh, community development, financial invest, uh, financial institution, okay. a community development, financial institution. I think that's CDFI. Um, and, and, and so they're trying to solve that last for the, for the tier of people that don't have access. And I, and I got to say that it's just, it's awesome what they're doing. And they're building something that people in Colorado are interested in, people in Illinois or, or, or in, uh, in Louisiana are interested in, people in other states really want to see it. And if it's mm-hmm. successful, it's a new model. And we see lots more businesses start, lots more businesses get funding. And it's, it's, it's exciting. This is one of the things I love is working with entrepreneurs, even if it's just a, t- if it's a tiny business, it's so cool to see people go, you know what? I think I can make a go of this and take the yep. risk and jump on it. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Well, and, and I, I was watching a, a video recently talking about how the job of a bank manager has changed. That, mm. that you know, 60 years ago, 100 years ago, a bank manager had to decide who to invest in. And it wasn't just based on a number and an algorithm. It was based on looking them in the eye and getting a feel for them and, you know, and and knowing their, their history in the community and and how hard they work, and that their brother does this, and that their mother does this, and um, and that they volunteer, they're on the Rotary Club, and and that's who they'd invest in because because even if they didn't have credit, that they, they had they had social credit, and yeah. now it's all so numerical that if you're not in the system, yep, then, yep. then good luck, you're out of luck. Uh, but there's there's and there's it's much more difficult to human your way through the system. Yep. Um, and and it's, it's interesting because you know through my connections I managed to learn some ways to work in the system quite effectively, um, and and you know and that's why I own a house now. Um, not you no, know, I'm not that I cheated anything or anything, but you know I work the system in a way that others might not know how. They wouldn't know who to hire to clean up their credit. They wouldn't know that kind of stuff. And it wasn't that I it made me better credit risk. It just let me work the system so the bank would look at the numbers and say, ah, oh, these numbers look good. Here, have a giant amount of money. Um, yeah, that's. And that, and that's all part of education. Like what we, yep. one of the modules is focused on, okay, so here's the letter. You have credit issues. Here's the letter. Just print out the letter. It's in the workbook. You fill it out, print out. This is the letter you send to the credit agency to challenge any credit issues, to repair credit issues. This is, so just how, how do people take those steps to clean things up? It's really, 
It's not that complex, but you have to take the steps. And so showing people the steps and then if, you know, we play with different ways of, of holding people's hand through this process. But what I find is even if you're holding their hand, they still have to take the steps. Yeah. Like even if you're, if you're hosting an event and you're asking, you know, answering questions from people from all walks of life and saying, here, try this, try this, try this, try this, try this. Then they get off that call and they've got to go make the calls to the credit agency. They've got to make the calls to the credit card companies. They've got to make the call. And the question what, is, do they? Or what I did, I paid someone five hundred dollars to do it for me. I had no idea what they did. Apparently, they just sent the letter. Uh, but I paid the five hundred dollars. They sent all the letters. Everything went away. It that's was magical. awesome. What a yeah. what a great price to pay for something. That's a great my, service. My credit went from four uh, five sixty to seven forty. Perfect. Wonderful. Yeah. For five hundred bucks, and and it sounds like they basically did what your course says and mailed a bunch of letters. Mm-hmm. And I, I know, yeah, you know, one letter bounced back to us. And my wife looked at us like, "What? Is, it's like a photocopy of a photocopy. It's a little bit off center." Um, she's like, "This is the this this sleaziest looking letter I've ever seen." I'm like, "Yeah, but they're working." Yeah, so that's what matters. Whatever it is, yeah. it works. But it's it's knowing the game, yep. yep, and knowing how to play the game. Which and and so so it sounds like you know what those guys you're working with are doing is they're re and you know same thing with networking. In the old days, networking you didn't network. You just knew people in town. It was a natural thing. Well, now it the small town I live in is 40,000 people. And that's a pretty small town. If you live in a city of 10 million, 5 million, you have to be intentional about building those networks because it can't happen organically. Yep. So, so you're kind of artificially overlaying what used to occur naturally. And that sounds like what you're doing in those communities. And, and, you know, and by the way, that those, those networking opportunities, and, and I, I love my best friends have, as an adult, have come out of those networking things. Like, yep. you know, the, the people that I know in Rotary, the people that I know in different groups that I was, you know, I was a member of the Berkeley Chamber. I was a chairman of the Berkeley Chamber of Commerce like 10 years ago. And so I know a lot mm-hmm. of people from there. Those are my friends. They, our kids go to school together. Yep. I spend more time with them. And by the way, yes, business is important and business happens because of networking. But also you find your babysitter. You find the person mm-hmm. that will drive you to the hospital if you need to. You find you find somebody who knows somebody that can provide a service that you want, you you or need. You this is what like you talked about. Small communities used to work this way, but yep. now you. I live in a town of one hundred five thousand that's sandwiched between you know four million other people in San Francisco yep. Bay Area, right? So we have to build our small community, and that's what we've done in our office. And this is why I think we've grown so much. Is is we host a lot of events. We just build community. We introduce people to people. We introduce, you know, service vendors who can come and say, "Hey, this person can talk about life insurance. This person can talk about solar panels. This person can talk about whatever." It's just, and 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 we introduce our clients to them. You know, everyone's networking. Everyone's getting to know each other. And we've had, I don't know, a dozen times someone comes to an event for the first time after they become a client, and they go, "Oh, this person's a client. That person, I didn't." Oh, Bob, I didn't, I didn't know you were a client. Oh, Sam, I didn't know you were a client. Sarah, I didn't know you were a client. They meet all kinds of people they know from the community. It's, it's just the neatest thing in the world to see people, you know, see people that they know uh, and yep. hugs and kisses. And it's, you know, it's, it validates what we do. They get validation from each other. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and the important thing is, is here. And I think that's one thing a lot of people don't realize is they have this idea of, you know, the haves and the have nots and the haves build a wall around themselves and nobody can have what we have because we have it. And, and I, I find the total opposite when I'm talking to people who are successful and maybe I'm talking to the right successful people because you know, the wrong ones won't talk to me, but yeah, you know, the right ones are all saying I have it and I want to give it to everyone. 
There's plenty, you know, it's not that I want to give all my money away, but I want to give what I know away so they can all make the same money I do. Yeah. Because if everyone's success, it's not like there's a limited pool. The more value you can provide, the more money comes into existence. Right. I, to, so I'm in, you know, I'm in Berkeley, California, right? Yeah. So I, I have, I do have a political uh, uh, sense of things. And I, and I do think that there are some people that wall themselves off uh, a little bit uh, uh, and, you know, talk to their crew and, and, and sort of limit the opportunity to their kids and their, and I, I do think that exists. I, I sort of agree with you that it's not as big as media makes it out to be, um, but better just to be creative and open and, and network and talk to lots of different kinds of people. You'll learn lots of different kinds of things, experience lots of different kinds of environments, experience lots of different kinds of things. A, it's financially rewarding. B, mm -hmm. it just makes people happier. Yeah. So, the, the, the breadth of experience, the breadth of learning, the breadth of types of people you know, that's what creates a happy life. That's what yeah. creates well-being. Well, that's, that's what I tell people who are, you know, breaking in, who are, you know, starting. I say, reach out to people and try to talk to them. And truly yep. successful people will make time for you. Yep, absolutely. And if they say, I don't have time for you, or I only work if you pay me, well, they're not successful. Right. Because if they were right. truly successful, they would own their schedule. Yep. And now I, I mean, sometimes like I've, I've got a big project I'm doing right now. I, I need to focus on it. I'll be happy to talk to you in six months. Okay. Well, yeah, you're, you're busy temporarily, but that kind of person like, I'm always too busy. I never have time to meet people. That's not success. That's, that that's, sounds like hell. Yeah. That's <laughs> awful. Like, and that's, that's, that's no way to live. Um, so, you know, there's, there's people who have lots of money and they're not successful. Right. True. Um, but you know, people are successful. If they're afraid of losing what they have, they're not successful. Yep. Successful people are like, I'm doing pretty good. And if I lose everything tomorrow, that's okay. Let's make it again. Yep. Totally. I'll yeah. figure it out. And uh, yeah, I, I, I have interviewed some people who have gone from rags to riches to rags to riches. Yeah, I know. You, you were telling about somebody earlier, which is great. I do want to, I do want to chat with them. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely be connecting you. And, and uh, yeah, I'll mention this to you and to everyone else who's listening. Um, part of the reason I do the, the podcast is that when you go to guy who knows a guy.com slash podcast is a list of all these different people I've spoken to. Um, and it's almost like a cat, like a menu of networking. So somebody can go in there and listen to, listen to an interview and say, Oh yeah, that, that interview with Jonathan Dio was so interesting. I'd love to meet him. I'd be like, cool. I'll introduce you. Cause that's the idea. The kind of people I interview are those kinds of successful people who are glad to make new connections and glad to know people. Um, and instead of me trying to guess who you want to know, somebody could totally listen to the podcast and say, Oh, I, I found that really interesting. I'd love to talk to him. And I'll make the connection now. Maybe you talk to him for 30 minutes and nothing ever happens. Uh, and maybe you start a joint venture and it changes your life. Who knows? Exactly. You yep. never know. Um, yep. And now my podcast list is long enough that pretty much every interview, I then think of who else I've interviewed to connect them to. Because that's kind of my first go-to. Like, you're in, you're in the podcast. You're in the podcast. You guys should talk. So That's good. Yeah. Definitely a few people. I, I love, the, I love the, the, the theory behind the guy who knows the guy. I think that's yeah. fantastic. I, yeah. I, read the, I read the website as well as listening to some podcasts. So. Oh, thank cool. you. Yeah. Well, and that's sometimes in talks, well, I'll, I'll hold up my phone and I will say this device is is not directly connected to anything of any value. Because think about it, the phone just goes to a tower. Yep. There's no data on the tower. You know, your computer is connected to a Wi-Fi box, no data on your router. But your router connects to a switch and the switch connects to a hub and the hub connects to another hub and that connects to a switch. And somewhere eventually it connects to the thing you want. And same thing with the network, you know. I might not be the person you need. I might not know the person you need, but I know the person who knows the person you need and I can work through the network. You know, similar to the phone, I know, you know, which nodes to go through to get to 
the one worth connecting to. And once Which, you realize you you are literally connected to everyone you ever need to know, really expands your 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 range of opportunities. And and then it actually puts it on you to figure out what you want to know. Like you got to figure out what the end game is, and then you have to work towards the end game. And that's yep. it's networking is great because you do have access to yes. almost anyone, but you have to actually know where you're going first. And th- that, by the way, is the answer to the question. Hey, Michael, if you're so well networked, why aren't you rich? Because I don't know what I want. I can connect to anyone. I know how to do it, but I can't settle on one thing from one minute to the next that I want to focus on. <laughs> and and it used to be, you know, it used to be that that your the limit of your connection was your community. Now with things like LinkedIn and Facebook, the, there, there's no limit to your connections. Like I can yeah. get. Remember the six degrees of separation or the mm-hmm. six degrees of Adam of uh, of Kevin, Kevin Bacon, Bacon yeah. right? Kevin Bacon. Uh, it, we are all very close, and I would say six is probably too far. With within four to almost anyone we want to talk to, if mm-hmm. if we know how to figure that out. Absolutely, yeah, no, def- there's there's no question about that. Well, and and you think about you know through local connections, like to anyone in politics, you know your local politicians. They know a state politician. They know a national politician, and they know any other politician. That's four degrees to anyone in politics in the entire country. That's right. Yeah, you know, almost For guaranteed. Sure. Assuming it's it's in your party. Um, and you probably know people in both parties if you're in business. Yeah. Where people are just sure. like, oh, I only talk to Republicans. Really? That must be really tough when you go to the board, the zoning board. <laughs> only talk to your people. Huh, guess can't build anything this year. Wrong teams in office. So yeah, business people are very good at, uh, I, I was referred to what I talk about local politics. I'm like a certain party and the other party, which party am I in? Yes. One of them. Yep. One of them. Yep. And I'm, I'm not in party. the other one, but I work with them very well. I'm not going to wave the flag. It's it's one of those it's it's one of those media things. Like when I talk to my neighbor, Mm -hmm. I don't know I don't know you know if they're if they're gay or straight. I don't know what church they attend. I don't Mm -hmm. know um, you know what their political party is. There's so much I don't know about them, but I talk to them because they're my neighbor, right? And that's if you meet someone on the street, you'll talk to them. And then do you, do you literally turn and walk away when you discover something about them that you don't like? No, you don't, right? You yep. don't. But when we read media or go to social media and we look at these things, that's what we do is we shut people out because they don't think exactly. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Especially with local, with local politics, like I don't care who you voted for for president. I care if you support the development or not. Right. I care how you feel about the parks. And there's Republicans and Democrats who support the parks and Republicans and Democrats who don't support the parks. And, right. you know, those are the issues I'm going to vote for someone on, not the right. party. So right. that's, that's what really matters. It's, it's the things that matter. And, and yeah, that's why local politics is so much more, so much Fulfilling. more real and democratic because it's, yeah. it's not theory. It's like, should we turn this into a park or a mall? <laughs> um, and, and that's not a Democrat Republican thing. That's, that's, you know, specific philosophy. Um, and you can really get to know, you know, your elected officials and it's a concrete impact of like people I know did a vote. And that's why that building is there now. As back opposed in the day. To like, yeah, as opposed to there's some numbers on some pages that changed some algorithms that did some things that maybe did that or maybe did this. But who knows what really happened? Ten, ten years ago when I was when I was a 10, God, maybe maybe it's 15 now when I was on the Chamber of Commerce in Berkeley, I was, you know, I was going to I wanted to be mayor like I really did. And then a few years pass. I'm like, I'm so glad I did not pursue that. (laughs) Um, Just thankless. You know, the people that actually decide to go into politics for reasons other than accumulating personal power, I just am amazed by them. 
Um, yes, I don't know how yes, you do it yes. these days. It just yes. seems like it's thankless and painful. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've, I, I'd much rather commentate on them than be one of them. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> makes us part of the problem, but okay. Yep. Well, no, I try to commentate positively. Okay, good. <laughs> and support. I always mention, you know, they're volunteers and I'm glad that they're doing what they're doing. I disagree in this way, but I'm glad they're doing what they're doing. So yeah. you know, I'd like to make yeah. that point. Um, but this has been great talking to you. This has been an awesome conversation. So glad we connected. Do you have any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with? Um, well, the only thing I'd say is if you want to connect with me, I'm very open. You know, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can see other social media things on my, at mindful.money. And uh, I am one of those people you can reach out to, and I'm, I'm happy to talk. All right. Fantastic. So glad to have you on here. And, and uh, it's been great to get to know you. Thanks, Michael. This has been the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with your host, Michael Whitehouse. This great theme song is by Patrick Howard. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast. Find the full archive of all episodes at guywhoknowsaguy.com slash podcast. Check out my other podcast, Morning Motivation. It's a daily podcast of two to five minutes with a powerful hit of motivation and inspiration to get your day started. Morningmotivation.fun or search for Morning Motivation wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the community online in the Morning Motivation Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Morning Motivation Podcast. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect, jv-connect.com. That's jv connect.com, December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.